So our mission is what? I've given you the answer. Is what? Making disciples together every day. And we purposely put each one of those words together because each one of those words is and has meaning. Our vision is what? That to me is why we do what we do. It's why we wake up. It's what we've been called to do because why? What's that? It's not on the board. <laughs> it's not on the board. <laughs> Dear God, pray for Seth right now. <laughs> Every life transformed by the love of Jesus, and the reason why that's important, at least to you and I, is because why? Because you and I... If we're a follower of Christ, our life has been transformed, has it not? Yeah, we have been changed. Our life has been transformed. We said yes to him, and we were ushered into his kingdom. We were adopted as a daughter, as a son, with all the rights and privileges that go with that. And then from that point forward, we are learning what it is to be like Jesus and to love like Jesus because we have been so graciously given that love to, to us. And it would stand to reason then that we want to see this happen to every person that I meet, to every person that I work with on a Friday driving tractor with, to every person that that I get to help onto the um, hay rack ride or whatever that thing is called. I'm just a really good farmer and tractor driver. Um, that thing with four wheels that has a canopy over it. And um, just to, to smile, and if nothing else, just to hopefully to brighten their day and, and, and whatnot so that eventually maybe someday that they can come to know and be transformed by the love of Jesus just like I have. And we talked about then our identity and how that we always do from who we are. And so the being part, um, talking about being family and being um, servants and being missionaries, and that's, we live from that. And then our values guide who we are. Moving then to our strategy, which you'll see up there, is the four words, the four G's, gather, go, grow, and give. And we, we're going to talk about gather and give in these next two Sundays. And we've talked about go, and we're going to talk about grow this morning. But just an introduction again is in this go part. James 1.22 talks about that we're, not merely, that we're not merely to listen to the word and so deceive ourselves or yourselves, we're to do what it says. And so we're commanded to, to make disciples who make disciples. We're commanded to not just be hearers only, but also doers. And so we are to be sent on mission. And that's what this is all about. 
And for us at Finding Life Church, we're, we're believing that the best way, and it's not the only way, but the best way for us is this thing called missional communities. And we're going to, we, we talked at length about that last week, and, and mainly philosophy. And we're going to, in the Q&A, you'll get a chance to just talk about details and what, like, what that looks like. And I'll share a little bit more at the end this morning. But this missional community is doing life together with people as a family. That you're committed, three elements in a missional community, you're committed to doing life together as a family with a group of people, preferably between 10 and 25 adults with kids. And you're also committed to serving one another, just as Jesus served you, you're committed to serving one another and the community through Christ. And then the third component, which I think then differentiates itself from maybe a small group or, or possibly a life group, is that you are going to have a mission that you are going to focus on in that group. And, and it can be whatever it needs to be, whether it's a particular elementary school or um, uh, civic organization or something, uh, uh, I don't know what, something that you're going to focus on, whether it be um, foster families or young moms, single moms or single dads or whatever it might be, that your group, group is going to focus on and you're going to figure out how um, we are going to serve them and love them um, so that they can come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. And so you're going to do that together as a group. Within that, ideally, is this component called grow. Where when we're sent on mission as a, as a family, and, and we have this large group, it's not ideally conducive to really getting into the personal parts of, of how I need to grow as a disciple. And so we've said that the best way for, for you to really grow as a disciple is that within this missional community, that you're going to pick one or probably, preferably two other um, people, whether it's two other men or two other women, if you're a woman or if you're a man. Um, I hope that makes sense. So three of the same sex that you're going to do life together and you're going to um, uh, really grow as a disciple. Each one of us, when we came to know Christ, was given a new heart. And, and God's mission, in essence, is to, um, is to see us become more like his son, Jesus Christ. It's to change our hearts. And so we need to give ourselves space to grow together, to see what God is doing and open up our open up his word together and to be changed by that. And, and we're calling it a DNA group. And it's an acronym for discover, nurture, and act. And it's really um, linked to the three things that I believe are essential to growing. And that's discovering, and that's the head part, the knowledge part, the, the word part, getting into scripture. What does this mean? How does it affect me and that kind of thing? And then it moves down into the heart phase where we're going to nurture what that obedience looks like. And then we're going to go into the hand phase, the act, and we're going to act on that 
and we're going to keep ourselves accountable with that. And so that looks like, and we're going to talk in more detail what that looks like, but it's, and I'm not going to say it right now, because we're going to wait till the end, otherwise I'm not going to have anything to say at the end. <laughs> Uh, but this is what that is. And then from there, it's gather. And that is Sunday morning. It's important for us to gather together as a group of missional communities and a larger church family to see that we're a part of something bigger. That we're a part of something bigger than just my individual life, than just my missional community that I get to be a part of something way bigger than just who I am as a follower of Christ and my mission in the community, and I get to be a part of this larger group of people. We get to be equipped. We get to be encouraged. We get to worship, and God gets to use us to do that very same thing that maybe other people are doing to us as well on that Sunday. And so that's gathering. That's an important part of what we do. And then the give part really is just weaved in through these three things. And it's really taking, and sometimes take Romans 12, 1 through 2, and, and read those two verses, very famous verses, and read it from the perspective of how, how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. And I want you just to, to take that time and read it over and over and over again. And in essence, what that is saying is that because of what God has done for you and I through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross for your sins, forgiving them past, present, and future, substituting that his righteousness is credited to you when you place your faith and hope in him and you have that right standing before God and he's the one who is mediating between God with you and all of that. And so God looks at Jesus and says, all right, Kevin's okay, and we're going to move on. What that means is that because of all of that, and, and I'm saying yes to him, I have surrendered my life to Jesus. I've surrendered my life to Jesus. And then what does that look like then with not just saying yes to him so that I can escape um, uh, hell or being separated from God forever, it's also surrendering, I'm saying yes to surrendering my time, which is probably our greatest commodity right now. It's also surrendering my talents, the abilities that God has given me to serve um, not only my brothers and sisters, but the people around me and my community and my region and my world. And then the thing that we talk about probably associated with give the most is our resources, our treasure. But it's all three of those things. And, and it's saying, God, I'm surrendering that all to you. And that's hard to do, but I'm surrendering that all to you. Now what do you want me to do with that to advance your kingdom and to be a part of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples? And so that's our strategy. This is what we are going to be all about here. Before we get into the details or a little bit more about what a DNA group and what GROW looks like, I, want, I was really impacted by um, a book that I've been reading, and it was just this past week, and it just came out. And it's from uh, a pastor called Francis Chan, or named Francis Chan, who was a pastor in California. And some of you may know who he is, and some of you may not. 
Um, but I've been greatly influenced by him over the years. And um, I just started reading this book. And it struck me on this particular chapter about what it means to live as family. And I want to just highlight a few of those things because here's, here's what I know. Is that it's easy for, for us to get caught up in the details and, and we, can to, we can do that, but it'll only get us so far because as soon as we don't understand the why behind it, understand the why behind it and understand the motivation behind it, then we'll get bored and then we'll lose focus and then we'll quit and that kind of thing. And so we want to get to the why behind it so that we can move forward. And so here is um, what I read and, and what I found just to be very fascinating. He talked about, and, and a, this next section is based on this particular chapter that I read. He talked about this friend who was part of a gang that he was a part of, or he was a part of a gang. And he encountered Jesus while he was in prison, and he was placed, uh, while he was placed in solitary confinement. And so he found Christ while he was in solitary confinement, while he was in prison. And today he said he's one of the most loving people that he's ever met. And, and this person tells him stories, tells Francis of these stories of this gang life and the fear that he felt when he left his gang to join the church, the body of Christ, to be a, to be a brother, to be um, a brother to a sister, whatever it might be. And so for him to do this in prison, it, it was very... Um, he said it can be very suicidal. In other words, he had to make a serious break with this gang. And when you do that, it's, um, it's, it's a very uh, serious thing. And even to the point where you know, they would, they'd take it very seriously and they would you know, probably kill him. But the Lord intervened and he spared his life. But he also said it wasn't just this fear of the physical thing or torture or whatever it might be, but he also um, dreaded the rejection by those that he really loved, the people that he was with in the gang. For him, this group of people was his family. They were loyal and they were dear friends of his who looked out for him, if you can imagine, looked out for him 24 hours a day. And so there was a love, there was a camaraderie that was there with um, him and his friends in the gang that he has enjoyed ever since he was a little boy. And now, uh, because of him saying yes to Jesus, he was separating himself because he needed to, and he was losing those friendships that he had. Clear from when he was a little guy, little guy, and he knew that he was going to be hated by them for doing this. Now, when Rob, is the name of the guy, described his life in a gang, it, it sounded to Francis much like um, what the church was meant to be. Now, obviously, there are major differences, as he notes in his book, like murder and drugs, right? Little things. <laughs> but the idea of being a family is central both to what he experienced in this gang and God's design for the church. Yet while we use um, this language of family or this terminology of family in our churches, 
Francis was saying that this story that his friend um, shared with him convinced him that this gang or gangs in general have a much stronger sense of what it means to be a family than what the church does at large. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement. I mean, think about what you know about gangs. Can you ever imagine gang life being reduced to a weekly one-hour gathering? Um, I'm reading directly from the book. No group would meet briefly once a week and call that a gang. Imagine one gang member walking up to another one and saying, hey, how was gang? I had to miss this week because life has been crazy. I mean, we all know enough, right, that this is, just sounds ridiculous. Yet every week, and this is maybe going to sound a little harsh, but every week this is what he says. We hear Christians asking each other, how was church? Something that God has designed to function as a family has been reduced to an optional weekly meeting. And this has become normal, expected. And Francis goes, and how in the world did we get here? Any person in a gang will tell you that the people that he is in a gang with will have his or her back. That they're going to be there for him or her. That they're loyal, that they're committed, that they're present. And don't miss that last word. Meanwhile, he goes on to say, in many churches, it's interesting that you have about as much connection to the people that you're supposedly being in a spiritual family with as you would to someone who you maybe visited the same movie with that week. Is it just a nice cliche to say that church should be like a family? I mean, it's a great thought. But our families are our families, right? Does God really expect me to be close to people that I'm not related to? People who I may not even choose to be friends with. And I agree it's natural to be close with your family and unnatural to experience this with people who are not like you, who are not your family. But that, as he points out in his book, that's exactly the point, and this is incredible to me, it's not supposed to be natural. It's supernatural, right? Otherwise, why are we here? Jesus has to do it. John 13, 34, and 35. I've been haunted by these verses for a long time. And what it says, in essence, is this is that Jesus is telling his disciples that this is how the world is going to know that you are my disciples, and I want you to think about that, and if you were standing there or listening to this, you would be going, okay, 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 this is it, this is how it is, and what Jesus says next is incredibly profound, that this is how the world is going to know that you're my disciples by what? By how you love one another. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear 
that this is what the church is supposed to be known for. Love. Jesus says that the love that we have for one another is the very thing that's going to attract people to him. I mean, think about, I want you to just do an exercise right now. Think about all the churches that you know of from California to the East Coast, from North Dakota down to Texas. I want you to think about, do you have like two or three churches in your head right now? I want you to think about if there are large churches or small churches, what they're known for. Maybe it's um, a celebrity type pastor. Maybe it's they have incredible music and, and a band has come out of that church and they're making incredible worship CDs or maybe it's their production value or maybe they just have an incredible children's ministry and it's just awesome or whatever it is. But I'm guessing that the one thing that you did not say is that church was known for its supernatural love for one another. I mean, would people notice in this church if they walked into a Sunday morning that there is this supernatural type of love that is present here? And it's not that we don't love each other, It's not that at all. It's just that it just doesn't stand out necessarily. It feels too similar like something that we might receive, and I experienced this on Friday, that there's generally people who really um, love each other there. Right? And I felt like part of a group of people, a family, just the short time that I was there. And sometimes we're too quick to label our church experience as Christian love. When Jesus made it very clear in Luke chapter 6, verses 32 through 34, and you can look at those verses later, that even sinners know how to love one another. I mean, you've experienced it. You've ever worked as a waiter somewhere or you've joined a gym. I hear stories all the time of the CrossFit family or bonded with other parents um, at your kids' sporting events or bonded with other moms that have multiple children in, you know, from a daycare situation or whatever it might be. And I want you to think about, is your love experience in your church really that different from your experience there? Because scriptures say that it's supposed to be. He says, as I have loved you, Jesus, what Jesus is speaking, as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And I think we read that and we skip that first part, as I, Jesus, have loved you. Think about that. What does that mean? What does that entail? 
then I want you to love one another. Jesus, who allowed himself to be tortured and killed for you and I, tells us to love each other in, in that same way. And, and listen, I'm telling you this, I, I struggle with this myself, right? All of us struggle with this. I mean, we've experienced the greatest love in, in history, in the universe. And shouldn't that profound, amazing, incredible love then flow out of us to other people? And when that does, shouldn't that be enough to make the world stand up and go, oh my goodness, wow, shock them. Something is going on. Something's different. This is more than what I see at um, where I work or at the gym or any kind of other family type situation that I'm a part of. John 4, 7 through 12 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, and if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. There's a promise in there. That if, he, that if we love one another, God will abide in us, and his love will be perfected in us. In John 17... Jesus, before he is sent to the cross, is having this prayer, or having a prayer with, with God the Father, and he's talking to him, and we get the privilege of listening in or reading that prayer. And in that, he says, you know, in essence, what I want is I ask um, that this unity that you and I have, that the disciples will have for each other. And this is, why he says that is so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. When the church began, and we read about it in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35, and we're not going to take the time to read that as well, but when you read that, it's this beautiful account of the church beginning and their thriving and they're loving one another, and they're sharing, and they're doing what they need to do in this community. And it's very attractive. It's very beautiful. And, and it's kind of, and it's that kind of love, Scripture says, that makes the message of Christ believable. Because if it doesn't work for you, then it's not going to work for me. And this kind of love, this kind of unity doesn't come easily. I mean, just think about in your family. <laughs> I think about my family and, and all the times, uh, all the acts of service that is required to 
um, make this family go, all their forgiveness and the grace that must constantly be extended because either someone did something and someone got hurt or um, whatever it might be. But if you think about your family, you think about that all the time. There's this tremendous amount of work to keep that family together, to keep them loving each other and to moving forward. So how that would be any different as a brother or sister in Christ, it's going to take a lot of work. It's messy. But what if we took that description that God gave about the church and we took it seriously as family, as missionaries, as servants? What if we just really sought Jesus fervently? And what if we just really began to love people sacrificially and then we shared the gospel boldly? What would that look like? Here's something that I want us to understand is that God didn't expect you and I to be perfect. But he did expect that we be committed. We can see that in Luke 9, 57 through 62. He's saying, you know what, I understand that you're not going to be perfect until you get to heaven, but I do expect you to be committed to what you've said yes to. And you'll read in Scripture that there's just not anything that says, I want you to be a disciple on your own. We need to do it together as family. And so it's committed to, to God, committed to Christ, committed to growth, but committed to each other as family. How many of you... Um, have seen the movie Madagascar. Heavily weighted on this side. Do you on that side? So um, he finishes, uh, well, this chapter with this illustration that I found was incredible to me. So if you didn't like it, well, I guess you can fall asleep now. Um, but this is what he said, and I want you to just think about it. He said, there's a quote from his conversation. He says, yeah, but the church still feels too much like a zoo. So many churches feel like zoos. We take these powerful animals out of the jungle and put them on display in cages. And then, he, and then he ends with, have you ever seen the movie Madagascar? And then he begins to think about that. Oh, yeah, okay. So this movie, Madagascar, right, begins with a bunch of, quote, unquote, wild animals in a zoo. And all the spectator, spectators are in awe of these powerful and great creatures. Everyone's favorite, though, is the lion. The children go crazy, and every time he roars, there's this big fanfare. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And most of the animals love this setup that they have. They're extremely well cared for. The trainers wait on them hand and foot, bringing them um, everything that they need, ensuring that all of their, um, their habitats are carefully designed to mimic the wild or look like the wild. And they're safe and they're comfortable. Um, in the zoo. But the zebra <laughs> finds himself dreaming about this other world, the wild. And he can't shake the feeling that he wasn't made to live in a zoo. He was made to roam free. His restlessness creates a situation where several animals um, escape the zoo and they find themselves stranded in the jungle of Madagascar. And it's hilarious mostly stemming from tame animals trying to be wild animals um, 
and the uh, penguins are hilarious. What we see is that the zoo environment has made them tame and basically useless in the wild. And so Francis Chan goes on and he <clears throat> takes that movie and he says, I wonder if you have ever felt like the zebra. You've been a faithful member of your church, but you keep feeling that you were made for something more. And he goes on to say that rather that the church is producing fearless missionaries who go to the ends of their neighborhood, the ends of their city, the ends of their region, and the ends of the world. He said that it looks like, it seems like we're producing something different. And then he takes that analogy and he uses it even further. He says, it's time to open the cages. It's time to remind the animals of their God-given instincts and capabilities and release them into the wild. Another writer says this, in so many churches, the mission of the church has actually become the maintenance of the institution itself, and that to me is sad. And so the way to destroy that mentality of always, I want you to serve me, and the victim mentality is to actually um, send people out on mission, which is why I believe so strongly in this organizational structure for you and I. Listen to this verse, a couple of verses in Ephesians 1. I pray that you would know that what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And then Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. And those two verses were meant for you and I. We are capable of so much more as a follower of Christ, as a brother, as a sister, as a son, as a daughter. It's interesting if you think about it that when Jesus sent out his disciples, it was only months after he called them to be his disciples, and he sent them out. And so if you think about it, it, it <clears throat> they weren't fully trained in essence, and they weren't mistake-free, but he sent them out anyway. And so it, it, it alludes to the fact that the sending was part of their training. The going, being on mission was part of their training. It's part of their classroom setting. It's part of what they need to learn how to be more like Jesus. And he knew that they were going to be persecuted. And he knew that they were going to come up against people who were going to oppose them. But he said, I, I want you to know that I promise to give you all that you need. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say when the time comes. That's our missional communities. Part of, I think, what we struggle with 
is this idea that I can come and using a phrase that's well used to sit and soak and never be obedient and do. With the mission of community, it's taking a small group of people, it's weaving them together, it's weaving them together, and it's being committed to serving one another and adding this missional component where I need to go out and I actually need to talk to people who don't know Christ, let them ask me questions, and maybe become uncomfortable with, I don't know the answer to that. And then that dives us into deeper study, and all right, I can learn more about what that means. And not being afraid, not being afraid because Jesus is inside and the Holy Spirit is there helping me and guiding me and moving forward. <clears throat> to me, when I, when I see this in my head, people um, should be in awe of um, you and I as followers of Christ that, that surpass anything that they've ever seen. People that are just so full of joy people that just have this peace that is unexplainable. People that are just really believe in this immeasurable greatness of his power is available to them and is flowing through them. And it cannot go unnoticed. People were attracted to the early church. People can be attracted to this. They're not going to ignore it. They're either going to love and want to be a part of it or they're going to hate it and really ridicule. But they're not going to be able to ignore it. And so for you and I, in order to get us there, th this is what this is kind of the, the thing that we need to work on is this MC, the missional community, it's not working, and these DNA groups. And we're going to give you some more details about that um, after the service this morning. But a DNA group specifically is um, a group of three people, like we told before, who meet for about an hour, and it's 20 minutes per person. And there's this... Um, kind of this uh, structure that we'll set up to help you guide you through what this looks like. And the first 10 weeks, or first 16 weeks, I'm sorry, we'll go through this book called Growing in Christ Together. And it'll help you with the three areas, the discover, nurture, and act part, which is head, heart, and hands. And it'll give you questions that you can ask each other as you, as you study a passage of scripture, as you figure out what it means to, to be applicable to my heart, and then how do I live that out through um, my life, the do part. And so you're going to be um, led by the Spirit, and the group will study the Bible, and they'll ask four questions that deal with the head part, and the goal is to teach each other. The nurture part is, again, being led by the Holy Spirit. The group will repent together because they're secure in Christ, right? So we can do that. Repent and believe in the gospel and the goal is to shepherd your heart and my heart. And then the last part is, again, being led by the Spirit. The, the three will listen and obey um, as he calls each one to bear fruit in keeping with this repentance.
In other words, the goal is to empower the hands. And so that's very simply what it looks like. Is if, if everything was a clean slate, um, that if I were to, if you were to come in and you just had a blank slate and kid Kevin, how do I become more like Christ? I would say this: number one, get involved in a missional community. And again, remember the three things that are part of that. And the worship team can come on up. The three things that are part of that is, is a leader who, who has this passion and vision for, for a group of people or um, an area. And then it's getting some people together up to 25 or it's very fluid what that looks like. And, and they're committed to, to living life together as a family. They're committed to serving each other. And then the third thing is to have a mission, is to have a mission, um, is to have a mission, what that looks like. From there, with, ideally, within that missional community, you're going to get involved with, I said that, did that wrong, spelled out Dan, <laughs> and that just looks like a mess. <clears throat> you're going to get involved with two other people and this DNA group, and that um, can look like meeting over lunch, you know, meeting for breakfast, even driving on your commute to work. Um, you can have a you know, three-way phone call, whatever it might be. But it's a weekly thing, and we'll get into details um, in our Q&A. And then from there, just be a part of Sunday morning gathering. That really is gathering. And that's it, those three things. Um, I know that some of you are going, well, I don't know if I have time. Or it just scares me to add one more thing. And all I would say to that, and we can dive into it more in our Q&A, but all I can say for that is this, is that I'm not asking you to add anything to your life. You already eat. You already uh, meet with a group now, I believe. And so it's taking those things. You eat lunch, you eat breakfast, um, you may go to the gym or whatever it might be, but it's finding those rhythms of life that we have and taking all of that and doing it with gospel intentionality. So if everything I just said before is true of you, then you would begin to reorient your life to be a disciple to what that looks like. And all this is, is just trying to help you to do that well. I probably confused you. So I'm hoping that you'll stick around for the Q&A. Um, let me pray, and then let's worship together. God, we thank you for this morning. <clears throat> and God, I was so convicted by a lot of things this week. But very specifically, God, that that this love that we're to have for each other is a supernatural kind of love. And I don't think in my life, God, that that's always been there. So God, I pray, I long for a group of people that are committed to that, Father, to, to seeing that to come to fruition, that, that we really do live out, Father, that acts to church and what that looks like. So help us in that, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.